welcome to the Almost LA Podcast. My name is Aiden. And my name is Audra. All right. Very excited for today's episode. You're excited? Mm-hmm. What day is it today? And why am I excited? Because <laughs> we're going to talk about Nirvana. Yeah. My favorite band of all time, probably. Yes. Nirvana Ew. influenced me greatly in, uh, what was it, like eighth grade, summer after eighth grade going into freshman year, probably, when I started playing guitar. Yes. I started listening to, I think you showed me Smells Like Teen Spirit or something like that, well, obviously. Every parent should, yes. Right. And <laughs> when your child's 12. When your child's going into and high school and And then I moodiness. got uh, some of Seth's guitars and started playing guitar because I wanted to be Kurt Cobain. Yep. You wore your Nirvana t-shirt until it yep, smelled like Teen Spirit. Time. I dyed my hair red, yep. wore flannels every day, ripped jeans, the whole shebang. The only thing that's um, changed is your hair doesn't isn't huge and puffy. Right. And now I have a little tiny bit of a beard. Yep. You're just an older version of your 14-year-old self. Yeah. But I, I love all the 90s grunge stuff. It's great. It's all great music. It's very edgy. Cool. Um, but well. we're going to talk about some of the depressing stuff today as well, I'm sure, right? Well, it's all a little depressing, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember, I'm just going to, you know, I was actually around. I know people think that this mm-hmm. was 100 years ago. I remember where I was when I heard that Kurt Cobain died, which most people talk about Elvis or JFK. Our generation is we all remember where we were <laughs> when Kurt Cobain died. <laughs> I was coming back to my dorm room in college, and my the girl that lived next door to me, my friend Robin, who was a, the biggest Nirvana fan that I knew, and I loved Nirvana at the time, is she was massive. She was bawling her eyes out and already had a shrine up like on her door with like his picture, and she wrote like all these things around his picture. She had a candle burning like 24 hours a day, and she wouldn't leave her room, and she was heartbroken. It's a little weird, but also a little cute. It was very cute. Yeah. And we were all sad, and we were all not super shocked because of, you know, when you were hearing about the band real time, we, you know, everybody knew that he um, was struggling. Was struggling, yeah. So the antics so were n- numerous, and MTV and all that, 24 hours a day, everybody knew what was going on. All right, so how are we starting off this whole so topic? So, well, yesterday, April 5th, was the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death. Right. 25 years. 25 years. Well, he died yesterday. He died on the 5th, I guess, is what they say. He killed they himself say, on yeah, the I saw, I saw some people actually might say it, it could be the 6th, yeah. depending on, because some, the coroner said when they found him at 8 a.m. in the morning on the 8th, he had, ar- they, so they died estimated. So, died on the 5th or 6th, and then they found him on the 8th. They found him at 9 o'clock, I think, on the 8th. And the coroner said that he had been pr- approximately gone for about two and a half days. So depending mm-hmm. on w- where you want to put that time frame, it could be the f- April 5th or 6th. So, um, and then the police report, as I will go into, um, claimed that a couple people they talked to and interviewed had talked to him on the 6th, but I don't know how legitimate that ended up being or how great everybody's memory was at that point. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. I feel like if you're holed up like that, you're not going to really yeah go outside yeah so as i just said yesterday i'm sure many of his fans on the 25th anniversary gathered at the park near his seattle home um it's called veretta park and there's a couple benches there where people like to go and kind of write on the bench and leave like 
mementos and flowers and candles and um, notes and stuff to him in his honor. So I'm sure a bunch of people were there yesterday. And as we said, he completed suicide on April 5th, 1994. Um, I'm going to throw out there that completed suicide is the correct term to use. We don't say committed suicide anymore. Well, I mean. So I'm just throwing that out there for All right. the general public. For the 2019, um, I guess. Yes. The culture. After uh, he went to rehab at the end, bailed out of rehab from when he was in Los Angeles um, and went back up to Seattle and was kind of on the run, basically, and, and then uh, completed suicide. Now I'm going to talk and a little bit. What's the bass player in Guns N' Roses, Duff McKeegan? Yes. Something? Yeah. Yes, they, they, they were on the same plane back to uh, Seattle. Oh, that's talk. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. When he was, he was flying back. He was one of the like, last people that saw him. And Guns N' Roses and Nirvana had a little uh, feud going on. Yeah. Well, I think Guns N' Roses. Axl Rose, I don't think, liked, uh, liked the popularity level of the grunge music. And their tight pants were going out of style. I think they were a little upset about that. Axl Rose didn't like a lot of people. He's was, has been angry off and on his whole life, so we can talk about him in another podcast. <laughs> right. We should do a Guns N' Roses episode. <laughs> yes, I, I've been listening to them a lot, actually, recently. Yeah. I was going to marry Axl Rose when I was in high school, but that's another podcast. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, okay. So the, I'm going to talk about the house right now because later on it might seem a little weird. But the Seattle cool. house um, is a block from Lake Washington in a very upscale, um, wealthy neighborhood. Uh, it looks like it was sold in um, January 1994 for $1.485 million. Um, and then it was sold again in 1997 for $289,500. So it went down significantly. Courtney Love apparently purchased the house in 1997 at that. I'm assuming it's at that price, according to the internet, um, for, the, for Cobain's family. Um, but then in 2003, uh, the house was auctioned off when she stopped making payments on it. So whoever owns the house now, I think probably did it through a private purchase because it's not public record, but it's estimated to be around $7.2 million. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously, yes. Yeah. So Kurt Cobain was born on February 20th, 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, he lived at 1210 First Street. The neighborhood was is is even to this day is called felony flats so as you can imagine probably not the best neighborhood um i tried to look up some research about why it's called felony flats it just it's it's a small community um and i just think that that's probably just where the the low income small you know small it's community. a logging town yeah just an hour summer or something like that from seattle yeah like very um, boring he lived there on and off um, until he was about 20 in that home. So even through the divorce, at some point he moved out of that house, went back to that house. He went and lived with family at some points when he was kind of being difficult and wasn't getting on with his dad. Um, a couple times he went to go live with his mom and she was in an abusive relationship. So he kind of bounced around here and there, but he that's the house that he was probably most consistently at. Um, it's a four-bedroom home, one bath, about 1,500 square feet. Um, and the house has still, as, as of 2014 at least, when it was last up for sale, um, had some of Kurt's childhood graffiti um, on his bedroom wall. And um, on there, there you can, there's a YouTube video of somebody kind of walking through the house and showing you um, the rooms and stuff. It's got some sweet shag carpet. The kitchen has some cool carpets, paneling. Um, 
the one bathroom has like a pink bottom claw foot tub and then you go up the stairs and it's like it looks like roof shingles are hanging from like the uh, like real jaggedy wood shingles or like lining the stairway up to the bedrooms um it's very 70s you know that i don't think it's ever been remodeled in fact um but some of the names on the wall he had some beer names that he liked old english 800 and affy beer there's a led zeppelin um he wrote on the wall led zeppelin and they're all different and they're all different colored because he was artistic uh one thing says communication breakdown iron maiden and some of the more offensive stuff that he used to write in the wall was painted over. He used to, I guess he had a couple swastikas and all that on there, which used to be kind of a favorite symbol of his because he liked... Punk rock. It was, he was very punk. And he also liked to be controversial and make people uncomfortable. Of course. Um, the graffiti is actually what makes it valuable. And because he lived there, the house uh, started at 500000 back i don't know i think it was in 2014 or something and then it sold for 190,000 um but the houses in that area are estimated at about 50 60,000 depending on the house um so it's basically was sold to someone for the history of the house uh kurt's All right. yeah he his parents divorced when he was 8 um he has a younger sister as well um, he claims that things and most everyone claim that he just wasn't the same kid after the divorce uh, his dad and mom split and his dad apparently at some point claimed that he was never going to get married again or not married for a while he made that promise for some reason I don't know why parents do this don't make promises to your kid especially about getting remarried or whatever you're going to do because you never know what's going to happen and that pissed him off when his dad remarried somebody and she had two kids and even though he came to really be close to his stepmom um, and she had two girls, he felt like he was kind of getting a lot of attention being the only boy, but then she ended up having a baby boy, which made him angry and kind of that's when his disciplinary issues with within that family, he kind of started acting out a little bit. And then his mom remarried some guy and he was uh, physically abusive to her. So there was a lot of domestic violence going on over there. So he didn't stay over there a lot because he witnessed um, some abuse when he was over there unfortunately so all in all I think it made him kind of a withdrawn angry little boy unfortunately um, and he acted out and I think because he probably had some mental issues anyway that com maybe compounded things when he started um, self-medicating he was a really artistic child uh, he loved to draw and he started playing pianos and the drums at a young age. He was actually really good at both. He was very musical. Um, he always asked his mom for art supplies, like at Christmas and his birthday. So he did a lot of cartoon drawing. Like um, Donald Duck was one of his favorites. His dad's name was Donald and his middle name is Donald. So maybe that's why Donald Duck was his favorite kind of to draw. Um, he'd make like Christmas cards, but he always kind of had, even when he went into like high school and junior high, he, there was kind of an edgy like tone to them. And he also, as he got older, liked to draw penises on everything. So he apparently, uh, he apparently, classic. <laughs> who doesn't, um, he apparently drew Michael Jackson at one point and then the principal of the school they were going to put it for an art show but he was like it was deemed inappropriate so however he drew michael jackson was inappropriate 
but <laughs> to this now it would probably be super appropriate now it makes perfect sense. now it makes sense um he also drew something a ronald reagan that was also not appropriate to post somewhere so i i don't know if that's because they had he- big penises on him or what um i'd be curious to find out <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i said that that was weird so um he got a scholarship he dropped out of high school and at that point his mom told him to get a job and and he didn't she gave him kind of a time frame and because he didn't get the job in the time frame she basically threw his stuff out in the front lawn so he came home and was like okay i have no place to go so he went to go stay with his his band uh, his future bandmate chris um and he chris sorry chris i should know that because i have a chris in my life (laughs) too Chris. Mom dated a, a Chris way back in the day. Way back in the and day. Must have been a popular 90s name. Seriously. <laughs> Did he wear he, turtlenecks? Yeah. Turtlenecks and sweater and guess vests. what their song was? Guess what their song was? What was your song with Chris? Wish You Were Here, Pink Floyd. Ah, uh, of course. Mm-hmm. Classic. Whose was it in high school? Okay, Real. let's get off of that Chris and on to the <laughs> other Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he crashed there and... Um, somebody gave him a bunch of tapes with some punk rock music on it and then that was it for him he was like i'm not going to art school i'm gonna form a band so they started playing in chris's i think basement and cranking out songs and and uh and kurt was like a natural kind of front man and was always writing at first i'm pretty sure at first chris was reluctant to form a band with kurt took him a little bit did you read about that i i might have i, I watched remember. like on the biography channel they had a documentary of him and I, it, you know they made it sound like they both simultaneously were like yeah let's start a band but you know i'm no, you yeah, know, who knows a little hesitation at first yeah um yeah so they uh decided to form a band started playing and one of kurt's first concerts uh which somebody else said he went to another concert but kurt said his first concert was a melvin's concert um, and so mm-hmm. we're going to play a Melvin's song right now. We've actually seen the Melvins. We saw the Melvins what, a couple of years ago. No, it was a while ago. It was a while ago? Yeah, it was a while ago. Down in like... It was somewhere here in L.A. at some like weird dive bar place. Was That's how into uh, the uh, Nirvana whole grunge thing that I was. I pulled, I dragged my mom to go see a Melvin's concert. Yeah, we went to a Melvin's deep concert. In the, deep in the scene. You were probably 15. It's yeah, 15, and there was 14. a mosh. There was a mosh pit. It was a legit little club. It was cool. There was another little grungy kid ab- uh, alone. Do you remember this? He was alone, just chilling, and there's kind of like these wooden, big wooden like circles, I guess, and they're kind of like a little tables, and people like kind of are on almost like risers, but in mm-hmm. a bar. It was kind of weird. So this little kid's just standing there, and he's all grunged up, and there's this drunk dude like right above him, spilled a whole beer on him. Oh, that's right. I Do remember, remember that. that. Yeah. <laughs> he was so bummed, but also he was terrified, so he didn't say anything. And then he probably felt cool because who, yeah, exactly. who doesn't get a beer spilled on them at a grunge He probably punk wrung club. out the beer into a cup and drank it, I'm sure, because totally. that's the punk rock thing to do. But totally. This is uh, Liz- Lizzie by the Melvins. Okay. We'll skip ahead for you a little bit here. Skip even further. (laughs) 
that's nice. a great one. Some of those songs, the Melvins are great. Off this album, Houdini, they have, uh, let me see what's the super heavy song. I'll get it for us. I think it's Honey Bucket. I'll play another one. Okay. Look how psyched you are. You're like a little kid right now. Just super fast paced. It's yeah. like sludgy, like it's like the punk rock fast stuff with the sludge, heavy metal kind of vibe. I think that's very, the, very that's, good. That's the first concert in a while that it, I remember going to the car. And, and your ears are ringing. I was cr- I was deaf for like literally twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah, it was so loud. Which I, I, I was yeah, sick. this is very loud. So, what were you saying about the Melvins um, before we started? That he, I mean, I know he was close with them uh, later on in life too. He, they were he was heavily influenced by them, and then he went on to meet them at some point, right? Yeah, they were like more underground of a band, right? Well, because uh, they were in, like, they were I in think the area. Like auditioned addition to the band at some point or something but then he kind of befriend befriended the guys and would hang around them and i think he helped like basically he was like a, a roadie or whatever they call him mm-hmm. for them. the melvins were they from aberdeen too or were they from uh i don't know if they were from aberdeen but they're from they're that seattle area. area from seattle yeah i know we went to seattle a, a few years ago and we went to the music um ugh. God, they have the M- huge the music. EMP museum. Yeah, is that what's yeah, the museum yeah. that's there. It's super cool, um, and they've got a bunch of Melvins and Nirvana stuff there. It's awesome. Yeah, the um, uh, I was gonna say something else, but I forgot. Okay, go ahead. If you let me think of it, let me know. Um, so Kurt, because of his artistic abilities, he drew a lot of the artwork for the band. Um, he drew their first poster, and he drew the wings on the In Utero cover. So the the woman is like the anatomy. A mannequin that you see, you know, in like science class and stuff, and then he drew the wings on her. Um, so his first girlfriend, like serious girlfriend, he had one girlfriend. He had a couple girlfriends. They talked about with this girl Kim. When Nirvana started kind of playing around town and getting known, he basically was living with her, and she paid his bills, took care of him. Um, and then when they decided to finally cut like a studio demo uh, for their debut uh, he got a job as a janitor to pay for it and according to this biography I watched the first six hours for them to make their demo cost him $152.77 that's all they could rate that's all they had at the time so that got him six hours and in those six hours they cranked out like nine and a half songs they said and then I read somewhere else that of course they went back in the studio a couple more times after that to kind of re-record and, and mix it so it sounds like one of those stories where like they only had this much money but then miraculously they had money for five other sessions right <laughs> to finish their album a, bit of a, a little bit of a fairy tale right so that one failed and that was under sub pop records the legendary record label right is it was it uh re mm-hmm. repr- repris something record records I'm trying sub to remember sub pop records <laughs> There was another <laughs> record thing, too. Someone's going to scream oh, it out because okay. it's on the tip of my tongue because I read yeah. it and I can't remember the name. Anyway, um, that one failed to chart before on its original release. Um, and then later on, it, it charted at like number 89 or something like that and did well, one yeah, point. It's just an indie record. So it was yeah, like it's an indie record. Blow up until number um, nine. So you're going to play Love Buzz from the Bleach album, their debut yeah, this album. Is a, this is like a cover. I can't remember the original band. It's it's. I'm pretty sure it's a song from like the 60s but this is like a cover song that nirvana did off of bleach okay 
another long intro, but that's cool. You get the point. So I have where Lo- Love Buzz is from. It says Love Buzz is a song by Dutch rock band Shocking Blue. Yeah, there you go. Written by Robbie Van Leeuwen. <laughs> there she goes again. Can't pronounce the name. Uh, who said? Who? How do you know? <laughs> Leeuwen. Huh? <laughs> you don't know. It's not right. You hesitated. It's Dutch. Whatever. It's too hard to pronounce. It's Dutch and amazing. Okay, so after their debut album Bleach, um, which was ne- a heavy, heavier record. Yes, heavier record. Uh, Never mind, uh, blew up everything, and uh, and it actually knocked Michael Jackson off the number one uh, spot. And Kurt Cobain later went on to say it to him, it sounded quote candy assed and was way too commercial. Um, but it went on to be number one, as I said. It sold like 10.6 million in sales or yeah. something. Um, I watched I watched a uh, interview with it was today. I watched an interview with uh, the manager guy. Oh, I can't remember his name, but uh, he wrote a book uh, before the 25th anniversary, and he's coming out with it. He had some like press he did, and he said that. Um, Kurt Cobain was almost putting on like not really putting on like a, a sh- like a a mask with every how everything was supposed to be super underground and whatever like Kurt Cobain would say that he didn't want the songs to be popular that's kind of like the punk rock thing is it's about right. the music you don't want to be all you don't want to sell out or anything but right. he was saying that of course the the songs were pop like pop rock basically songs they're super catchy whatever and that was on purpose because Kurt Cobain wanted to be enormous right and there's like people that from his camp that have said many times that he wanted to be yeah. super big, but that's just that kind of that punk rock thing. It was like almost the image, right? Exactly. His manager was Danny Goldberg. Yeah. Okay. There you um, go. Yeah. There was. I remember at the time that was heavily publicized of how his fame, his wealth, his popularity were all making him miserable, mm-hmm. and it's not what he wanted. It was ruining him. You know. So the message that the you know. PR was sending out was like <clears throat> he's true grunge true punk you know so we all were like oh my god this poor guy that you know they're killing him they're torturing him but you know everything you read now is exactly what you said he you know he bought the big house in Seattle he well he know. didn't really he talked about that too he never the guy said he never went to LA parties he never no bought a huge car like he's a big car he had a big house but like like in that aspect he was a humble guy nice guy whatever right and I think the fame actually probably did suck because well, he sure. was ridiculously famous. For so, sure. But uh, he wanted his music to be good. He wanted a lot of people to hear his music. He wanted to influence a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it's I just read the fame that comes with that kind of sucks. I read somewhere that they were all getting equal parts um, money-wise, and then he went back to the band. He was like, hey, because I'm writing the songs, I get, like, twice as much as you get. So, like, there was definitely of, like, it's we're not going to keep it equal. I'm the main guy. I should be getting paid more kind of, you know, attitude. Yeah. Well, he wrote, um, like, everything. He did all the art and stuff, too. So yeah, I mean, for sure. As he should probably get more. Yeah. Um, so the Smells Like Teen Spirit video, which everybody, especially in my generation, remembers watching for the first time and being, like, blown away, um, was completely his idea. It's It's them in a high school gym. There's, like cheerleaders with like anarchy symbols on their like sweaters and then like everyone from the stands comes down there's like a huge mosh pit he's like breaking his guitar everywhere it's real dark um and the last shot is like iconic where 
his face like comes up to the camera really big where he's like staring right at you you know that shot at the end of the video and he's like smiling and he's like smiling and he's kind of like turning his head and he's like coming into the camera mm-hmm. Um, that was shot after the fact and he actually watched the video and then shot that separately and edited it in himself because that was his idea of getting in your face and looking at the wanting to look at the audience per se okay um and geffen records like wasn't thrilled about the uh never mind album cover because of the baby's penis once again there's a penis um on the cover even though it was a baby uh so they prepared an alternate cover but Cobain made it very clear that he wasn't going to let the alternative cover happen so they compromised and they put like a sticker uh, over um, the baby when they were selling it and I think I kind of remember it was like this round sticker I don't know if it said like the explicit you know sensor sticker or whatever that's what it was um, and he went on to say like if you're offended by this you must be a closet pedophile like if you're offended by a baby's penis you're a closet yeah, pedophile for real. he's got a point there yeah I agree you're freaking out about well, it. I mean, so I'm looking at the album cover here. That's definitely a baby's penis. There's yeah. no sticker. <laughs> There's no sticker. Well, no, there. I think for sales, like when they were selling the 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 oh, like uh, just CD. The yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. So only not like when you're looking at it online and stuff, but when you would f- physically have to go purchase it, which is what we had to do back then. Remember, right. nothing was I online. A, I have the CD, and it's from the '90s. You yeah. guys gave it to me, so yeah, I, but I don't have it with me here. I would look at it, but that's probably worth some money. Well, I'm sure you could take that sticker off. So the oh, okay, baby, yeah. the baby's name is Eldon Spencer, um, mm-hmm. and he was paid like the standard hourly rate, which was like two hundred and fifty bucks. Um, and label later the album went like triple platinum. And uh, uh, Eldon, the little boy, like grew up and then had like a Nevermind poster hung above his bed for several years. And he went on to kind of reenact the cover twice, but he kept his shorts on, um, even though photographers urged him to be naked because. Clearly, they're pedophiles, um, but he thought it would be weird. So kudos to him, keeping your shorts on. Um, he did it in 2008 when he was 17, and then a couple years ago for the 25th anniversary of Nevermind in 2016. Um, so the the song "Smells Like Teen Spirit," as we all probably know, came from the title came from his friend Kathleen Hannah at the time. She was the lead singer of the the Riot Girl band Bikini Kill. She wrote on his wall at one point, Kurt smells like teen spirit. And so that's kind of where his idea came from. And she meant that Kurt smells like his girlfriend's deodorant, which was named teen spirit. So Kurt's girlfriend at the time, Toby Vale, wore teen spirit deodorant. But he wasn't really, he didn't know what she was talking about. But right. in general, that's where the name of the, the song came from. Yep. Um, so Eldon, his quote about like, being kind of tied to this whole thing is quote the anniversary means something to me it's strange that i did this for five minutes when i was like four months old and it became this really iconic image he added it's cool but weird to be a part of something so important that i don't even remember that is kind of weird yeah that is kind of weird huh you know so aiden's gonna play smells like teen spirit and just for a little a little time bleach was released i don't know what month but it was 1989 Mm -hmm. and then um they wrote all these songs and I'll just want to talk about a little bit before I play this song Kay. so I think it was I can't remember the drummer's drummer's name I know his first name was Chad I'm pretty sure um, 
on what on the bleach like, on the bleach album i think he was the drummer for the because they went through a bunch of different drummers. yeah they had five drummers before dave Grohl. yeah and the i think the, the main one right before dave Grohl was this chad guy i can't remember his last name which mm-hmm. is very annoying um do you want to try and find that yeah. um but so i think he did all the drumming on bleach or at least most of it and then he actually did a lot of the stuff uh I know Kurt Cobain wrote some of the drum parts even for the smokes, like even in Smells Like Teen Spirit, but mm-hmm. uh, on the recordings, it's not actually Dave Grohl for some of the Nevermind Chad, stuff. Chad Channing. Yeah, there you go. I, was, I thought that was the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer name, so I didn't want to get that confused because oh. that's, that's a rookie mistake. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then this was released. Never, never mind. They wrote all the songs, and then Smells Like Teen Spirit was one of the last songs that they wrote. They thought, uh, I think it was In Bloom was supposed to be the, the big hit or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then it turned out being spelled like Teen Spirit, which I will play right now. There we go. Great he, song. Yep. Of course. There was somebody, uh, the guy from the when they were doing Bleach, uh, the producer on that, I can't remember the guy's name, from the studio you were saying, said that he had he knew it was going to do well because Kurt always had like the classic like punk scream down. He like liked yeah. his screaming his voice. His voice was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So Kurt and Courtney Love met in Chicago at a show and – uh, they were backstage, and Danny Goldberg, uh, the manager of Nirvana, saw them sitting next to each other, and he said that he literally never saw them apart, basically, after that. Um, and they got married in 1991. They both had been doing heroin, apparently, in the 90s, like in 1990, is when Kurt was said to have started. I have some, I have some more insight around Kurt's heroin use. Okay, please tell So me. I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the song that about a girl on Bleach the girl that was written mm-hmm. about, it could have been one of the other girlfriends, but it was. She, yeah. sa- she said that Kurt had been had tried heroin a few times in the in the late eighties, and then okay. started heavily using. Obviously, when he became a rock star, so yes. he had he would um, even like make fun of people that did heroin, or what he would be like, I don't understand people addicted to heroin, blah blah blah. To her, right? It but was, he had tried it, right. It was very common back then for this. You remember, I don't want to say that River Phoenix was doing heroin. I can't remember if he, we talked about that or not. I know he's doing it, but I think he was dabbling in heroin uh, because of that movie he did. But back then, people were doing it, um, and it was very, very hush-hush. And 
a lot of celebrities that were doing it were lying about it and then also sounding holier than thou about people that were doing it like they were scumbags and they weren't doing it so they were cool when in actually reality they were actually doing it too so that was very common um unfortunately at the time so that doesn't surprise me whatsoever um so they kind of had a toxic relationship they were clearly codependent and obsessed with each other um kurt seemed to kind of always you know in his his relationships it seemed like he just worshipped whoever he was with almost to the point where it was just detrimental to his mental health you know he kind of got so wrapped up in um you know which i'm sure for the women is probably wonderful and then suffocating all at the same time um but it seemed like you know when things weren't going well he was like highly emotional and when things were bad he was highly emotional in a bad way um so they lived in LA um in an apartment in LA's Fairfax district in 1992 um he he was not doing at one point he was not doing music this is they were living there he was going to write in utero they had a baby there so all this was going on within the year there but at some point he was only focused on his artwork and so a lot of the apartment had a ton of graffiti all over it. He was like drawing on the walls. He was, and you can find a bunch of pictures online. Um, the address there was 448 North Spalding Avenue. Um, and for a long time, I guess people didn't know where, it, couldn't remember where it exactly was, but there's some medical bill that some person put online that has that address on it. So that's where it was. Um, they stayed there for about a year until it flooded and um, in 19 in 2014 you could actually airbnb that apartment for 150 bucks a night and now it just looks like it's on it's rented to somebody as a regular apartment um, and the description of that apartment says it has lots of charm with hollywood history so clearly that's the right apartment um, when he was there doing his artistic stuff he <laughs> he reportedly put his own blood semen cigarette ash and fecal matter into the paint in his artwork so if you have one of those paintings from there, and um, you've got a lot of Kurt Cobain DNA in that nice. piece. Congratulations. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, this is the apartment where he has all the pictures where he has his red hair, which is the hair we talked about at the beginning, that you had bright red hair as well. So you guys look very similar. Um, and the photos from that apartment, I would call it squatter college punk chic, <laughs> where it was their mattress was on the floor uh clothes everywhere as i said they were writing all over the walls uh the mantle had like various decapitated doll heads and crazy naked baby dolls and like weird stuff all over the mantle yeah so your you know basic punk kind of grunge apartment he wrote um in utero there eventually and um the original title for that album was supposed to be I Hate Myself and Want to Die, mm -hmm. um, which he wrote in his journal, but told Rolling Stone in an interview that it was a joke, saying, quote, I'm thought of as pissy, complaining, freaked out schizophrenic who wants to kill himself all the time. So he changed the title in fear that people just wouldn't get it, um, and especially since Judas Priest around that time was having some legal trouble over two fans who had shot themselves um, supposedly over their music. So there was, that was also the time where it was, you know, people were being blamed for 
their music and people doing awful things themselves and being influenced by it and somehow that was the band's fault which I never really got but that's what was going on sometimes um, the album was recorded live in 14 days and to finish celebrating the record the band lit their pants on fire which apparently was in line with a lot of the crazy antics that was going on during the recording and that went on to be a number one record as well he wrote heart-shaped box in that apartment um, and apparently I read somewhere that he wrote it in the bathtub and ironically that's the bathtub that, l- that flooded the apartment when they were gone on tour and came back and had to move but somewhere else um, Courtney Love claimed that he wrote that song while he was locked in the closet and apparently she was writing a whole song and there was a guitar riff that she was playing and he she claims that he like poked his head out of the closet and said are you going to use that riff and she said no and then he slammed the door on her and then used that riff in heart-shaped box and then the name of heart-shaped box was supposed to be heart-shaped coffin of course but of course they changed it to box and she had apparently given um kurt a heart-shaped box when they were first dating which is very sweet so Aiden's going to play Heart Shaped Box right now, and then he's right after going to play All Apologies, which is one of his favorite songs on In, in Utero. Every song on In Utero is good. Also, I Hate yes, Myself and Want is. to Die. That's like a B-side song on In Utero. If you have like the, I'm pretty sure if you have like the big box set or whatever it is, that, that oh, song cool. is also great. They're all cool. great. like forgot we were podcasting for a second during that song i started (laughs) to get really into it and i was like oh wait maybe i should probably slow my roll here (laughs) i was gonna play the whole song if you if i didn't uh oh i wasn't really paying i was like oh he knows what he's doing i'm just gonna (laughs) i love that song okay now play all apologies all apologies is a beautiful song do you want me to sing it (laughs) (laughs) all apologies Okay, fine.
straight up bangers. Crazy. <laughs> what? Okay. So Francis Bean Cobain was born August 18th, 1992. Uh, Courtney Love had to detox after finding out she was pregnant. I don't think it was super planned, but she was heavily into heroin at the time and did supposedly clean herself up during the pregnancy. There was a big controversy. Kurt agreed. There is. Uh, Kurt tried to do it with her. They kind of went into this in agreement. They would both stop while she was pregnant, and he couldn't do it. So he continued to use throughout the pregnancy. He was actually in treatment um, at the same hospital when Love went in to give birth. Uh, he, a couple days before she actually had the baby, he was like, I need, you know, I'm going to try to get clean for my kid. It went into treatment. And so there's a story that uh, while Courtney was like, giving birth uh somebody had to like run down the hall or run down to the next floor wherever uh kurt was to be like your baby's coming and they like got him out of treatment and went up so he was there for the birth and then he went back to treatment so shortly after francis bean was born a vanity fair article came out um and in the article uh somebody had interviewed apparently a friend quote unquote friend i don't know what kind of friend would rat out your friend but claiming that courtney was using throughout the pregnancy um, which sparked a child protective services investigation, um, and they ended up taking Francis away for about a month to make sure everything was going on. I think it ended up, I, I read between a month and five months that Francis was actually gone. Um, at this time, you know, Kurt had gotten out of rehab after the baby was born, but he, of course, immediately relapsed and had tried to attempt suicide. Um, they got her back okay yeah they got her back five months later and you know he went on to continue some of his writing and stuff like that several people in kurt's family um had completed suicide i think there's three within the kind of immediate uncle aunt um kind of level people around you know when he was growing up and then there's a story that when he was in elementary school uh, the kids had left school and somebody had hanged themselves um, from a tree on the school property and Kurt and his friends kind of stood there staring at the body for about 30 minutes before the school kind of shooed them away and made them leave and I guess this made kind of a really acting lasting impression on him um, so then we kind of jump to uh, well I won't jump quite yet but within Courtney and Kurt's relationship I think there was she had talked about three or four different occasions of when um, they he had OD'd and had to go to the hospital and go revive. There's a story that he OD'd somewhere. I think it was a New York show. He OD'd that day and went on that night to do a show, and no one even knew that, that he had OD'd Jesus. that day. Yeah. Um, there had been a, a bunch of domestic uh, abuse calls t into the uh, police, uh, one of them, he spent three hours in jail before he was let out, um, and all of them included guns. Every time the ca cops came to the house, they had to confiscate guns from him, multiple guns. Um, and sometimes it was him doing it, sometimes it was her, but they were obviously kind of, you know, very toxic together. So um, when they were in Rome, Italy, on March uh, 1994, Cobain uh, attempted suicide again. And that was kept very, very hush-hush by the record company. Yeah, um, mixing pills and I wine. Think, yeah, he was mixing pills and wine. 
I think this was the incident where some people went on to say that maybe Courtney had given him the pills and like crushed it up in his wine so he wasn't sure how many he took um, I read somewhere else that Courtney was claiming that he had taken 50 uh, pills of something um, and somebody else said that that was impossible to do so there's a lot of controversy around what happened but he collapsed rushed to the hospital um, and then it was kept very very quiet a lot of people in his camp um, didn't even know about that incident until after he, his death and they were upset because they were like if we knew he had tried this again that maybe they could have done something you know this whole thing um, so he came back home to recover because apparently he wasn't doing well after that attempt and um, his record company at the time was Golden Mountain Entertainment uh, so that was in March early March and then on March 18th uh, a domestic dispute escalated um, into almost a complete disaster. Police officers arrived at the scene, uh, summoned by love. She called the cops, and she told them that her husband had locked himself into the, the uh, into a room with a 38 caliber revolver and said he was going to kill himself. The officers confiscated the gun and three other guns, along with a, a various bottles of un unidentified pills. And later that night, Colt Cobain told them that he hadn't actually been planning to take his own life which is what people say when they get busted, you know, because they want to be left yeah. alone. Uh, so at this point, everyone decided to do a tough love intervention, and they basically gathered him into a, you know area, and they all kind of came down on him pretty hard, it sounded like. Love threatened to leave him, and the band uh, threatened to break up if he didn't get help, um, and basically everyone did that they threatened him with a bunch of stuff and then they all bailed on him and left him and courtney said looking back she said you know the tough love thing just doesn't work it actually just makes people feel shittier and that they're alone and that they can't count on anybody so she i think she kind of regrets that they went that route with him so she actually they, he was recovering in seattle um after the rome incident when this intervention happened so love immediately flew back to la and started an outpatient program at the Peninsula um, Inn in Beverly Hills um, and everybody else kind of left too. Uh, he, Kurt, went out into Seattle somewhere and bought a shotgun on March 30th and he dropped it off at his house and Pat Smear, his bandmate, who we should mention it was Pat Smear in the band, that time Dave Grohl, uh, Chris, how do you say Chris, uh, Chris last name? Uh, Chris Novoselic. Yeah, Novoselic. Like and then that. Kurt. And is is it four of them or five of them? What? Four members in the band? No, it was a three-piece. So it was Dave, Chris, and Kurt. And then Pat would tour with them. Oh, okay. So Pat, yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, so uh, Pat and a Gold Mountain employee, they don't, who... I couldn't find out who it was. Um, they met so Kurt at that LA airport. So basically, everybody took off. Went there. He bought a shotgun and went back to his house and left it at the house. And then he got on a plane uh, to go to into rehab, agreeing to go into rehab, which is a little suspicious um, to me. If you buy a gun, put it in your house, and then agree to go into rehab. So he went to the Exodus Recovery Center um, at the Daniel Freeman Marina Hospital in Marina del Rey, California. 
Um, and I had said he kind of rehabbed a bunch, domestic violence. Um, he was there a few days, and he ended up jumping the wall of the detox center, which apparently was about 10 feet tall. Um, and the rehab was, of course, saying, this never happens. We watch our patients very carefully. But he just bailed over the fence and flew to Seattle, which was where Aiden said that um, uh, what's-his-face from Guns N' Roses was on yeah. his flight. He was roaming around Seattle. Some people claimed to have seen him at a park. Some people claimed to you know, have seen him wandering around his neighborhood. Um, when Courtney found out that he had bailed from rehab, she immediately uh, had people start looking for him. And I think his mother was the one that actually filed the missing persons report. Uh, they couldn't find him. I don't know how. Uh, he was at his house, um, but I don't know if I don't know where they were looking, but they couldn't find him. So what happened was um, he, on about the fifth or sixth, ended up taking a lethal um, dose of heroin, and he also had Valium in his system. Um, he put it. He went to his greenhouse, which was a separate. Um, building from his house so he's got this big house and then he has a garage with a greenhouse over the garage he went there he put a stool up against the door locked the door um, wrote out his uh, suicide note and sat down on the ground and um, shot himself in the head with his the shotgun that he had bought on the 30th that he had left at the house um, he was only identified by his fingerprints, so that kind of tells you that he was unrecognizable, unfortunately. Uh, Courtney, who was in uh, rehab at the time, right the day before, they found Kurt. So while he was missing, she OD'd on the 7th at the Peninsula Hotel where she was supposed to be in a program, um, and they ended up admitting her into the hospital from the OD and on the day that he was found she checked herself out of the hospital and uh, flew up to Seattle. Uh, Frances Bean was like a toddler at the time and she was taken care of since the whole Child Protective Services incident they had hired a team of nannies to take care of her so she wouldn't be taken away again. Um, so there was a couple different nannies that watched after her. And at the time, she was staying next door uh, in the hotel room where uh, everyone OD'd. Everyone in that room OD'd. There was like three people along with Courtney Love, two other people that OD'd. Um, and I think the nanny was the one that called the police, if I'm uh, remembering that correctly. So Francis is now, uh, as a child, was largely raised by Kurt's mom and his sister. Um, she was with her mother off and on. In 2009, Love lost all custody rights to her. Um, her childhood documents were all sealed due to domestic violence that was apparently going on in the home between her and her mom, is from what it sounds like. She inherited 38% of uh, Kurt's estate, and in 2010, she now controls all the publicity rights of his image and his name. So, I... Uh, read somewhere that she posted something about the anniversary of his death but I can't find it on her Instagram so I'm not going to quote something if she took it down um, but you went on to there's a bunch of so he he clearly 
committed suicide. Completed suicide, sorry. He talked about it a lot. He was heavy into drugs. He didn't want to live. I have part of his suicide, or I have his actual suicide note right here. Um, Aiden, you watched both the documentaries, which I have sadly never seen. Um, and the ones, is it Soaked in Bleach that talks about the murder theory? Where they think somebody murdered him. Yeah, I think so. I haven't. I it's been a while since I saw him, but I know that there's the one that was on, or there's maybe two. <laughs> Sorry, two on Netflix. Um, they basically just talk about how the conspiracy that Courtney Love hired somebody to kill Kurt Cobain for you know the estate or whatever would probably be the motive. I mean, well, yeah, I think wasn't it that she thought he was going to divorce her and that she wasn't going to get the money, so she was going to, you know, yeah, murder or the band was going to break him. up and like. She's yeah, and that she everybody thinks I don't know how true this is, but uh, Courtney Love didn't wasn't she notorious for just trying to like be famous or something, and she was just trying to get with any rock star kind of thing. Yeah, she but before Kurt, she had been with a you know she I I remember watching something about her one time where s I think it was Dave Grohl said that she, not, sorry I don't want to quote Dave Grohl, but somebody in the, one of the bands said that she was. And, she was always with the guy that was going to be the next. Didn't she date the Smashy Pumpkins guy for a while? I um, Cor Corrigan, I think she did. And I, she just kind of was had this knack for honing in on the next big right. guy that was going to be the next big band, and that was kind of so her it just thing. Seemed a little suspicious, um, and obviously it's a huge death, so a bunch of people are going to be like, "Well, he was murdered." Right. But if you're right. being realistic about it, he probably just yes. killed himself. And I think the guy that keeps perpetuating this murder is obviously trying to make money through books and interviews and documentaries, yeah. unfortunately. So, and in this, su you, you know, his suicide note is unfortunately online. I'm sure this was supposed to be met private, um, but you can read it. I have purposely never read it until today. I finally read it. I didn't want to ever read it because I don't think it was any of my business. Um, but also Courtney Love, I remember she went on and, read it on a recording on either somewhere and um and i remember hearing hearing it from her because she was so devastated she like read it to everyone because she wanted everybody uh, to know what it said that he wrote it to i'm gonna pronounce it buddha b-o-d-d-a-h who was kurt cobain's childhood friend he had an imaginary friend when he was little called buddha and he whenever he would get in trouble for anything or anything bad would happen he would blame buddha for it and so he kind of continued that into his adult life where it was like that was kind of his way of saying it wasn't me, you know, whatever. So his suicide note starts with it. He's basically writing it to Buddha to explain to him that he's over this life. He's not happy here. You know, um, he goes on to say that he, you know, he doesn't want to disappoint the fans because he feels like if his heart's not into it, he's. He's not giving them the 100% that they deserve. Um, and he goes on to say that he loves Courtney. And she's amazing, basically, and that he loves his daughter. And, you know, to be strong for their daughter and all this kind of stuff. I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. It's very sweet, and it's very to the point, And I see nothing suspicious in it. I know there's some handwriting experts that looked at it saying that the first part, a big chunk, you know, the majority of it was written an, at another time. And maybe he was giving it to a friend or it had nothing to do with suicide. And then the last bunch of lines were written in some other handwriting or at a different time. And that they don't match or something, but that's been, you know, um, it's he was planning it. He that's not true. At different times. And he's, yeah, he's planning he could it have. Himself. It's not, it's um, but it's very obviously that it was suicide. Yeah. So RAP Kurt Cobain. Surreal. And, you know, 
It's a bummer. He was a huge part of changing music and uh you know he's had a huge legacy so we are going to play to wrap this up and play us out is Aiden's going to talk about this song a little bit because this is one that he knows it's called uh you know you're right yeah, so this was like one of the songs that was released uh i think it's 2002 after on the album titled nirvana it just had some I guess the big songs, singles, stuff like that. Uh, they recorded it, but it was never released when he was a- alive. And it's just a, well, it's just a very depressing, painful song, I guess. Um, so yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Rest in peace, Kurt Cobain. Listen to some Nirvana. Dive into the '90s grunge scene and don't get too depressed after listening to all the music. <laughs> it's a little there hard to go. do. Thanks there for listening. Go.